0: I have a lot to be thankful for, and you have a lot to be thankful for. And I'm wondering if we're always appropriately thankful. And the scripture that came to my mind, which I'm going to read to us here, is just a tiny, tiny little story. It's an encounter that Jesus has with some people, but it revolves around gratitude, and it revolves around expressing that gratitude. So I would just like to read it. I want this Sunday to be an encouragement to us for how we interact with others to possibly think that gratitude is a phenomenal point of connection with the unsaved world around us. To consider that gratitude might actually be the opposite of pride and therefore the basis for humility, which is the start of all good things. And uh, to take a little word and maybe give it a little bit deeper meaning and a little bit more importance than we might give it and then to practically encourage us to be people who express that gratitude, who are thankful people in all the ways that we need to be. So here is the scripture. If you want to turn there and read, it's the only one we're focusing on, so you can just turn your Bibles and stay there for this morning with me. It's Luke 17. Luke 17, verse 11. And this clipboard and whatnot, this is a little exercise in gratitude that we can do here together so after i talk for a moment i'm going to pass this around explain what that's about but also um i want to give time at the end for you to consider who might be the people that you need to go back to and express gratitude maybe we have some gratitude deficiencies that we need to make up for and i think it's a more powerful more powerful thing than we give it credit for so listen to luke 17 Verse 11 through 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Better translation, whole. Your faith has made you whole made you whole. I think we too often move on from our blessings to start praying for the next trial without sitting in the blessings and sitting in the gratitude. There needs to be a solid chunk of time at the end of every blessing where we just bask in it It's like a Sabbath basking in gratitude because usually as soon as a problem is solved, thank you, Jesus, there are five more problems confronting us. The thing we resolved at work now is another person at work. So thank you, God. We give him credit. I believe I've heard that in all of our prayers. We're people that give God glory. But what a shame that we pray to him with like all these requests for hours and days and months, and then we thank him for a day or for 10 minutes. Or for a prayer time. Or for a Sunday. Shouldn't it be the other way around? God, you're in control. Take care of the situation. One five-minute prayer. And then God does a miracle and we brag about it for months. Wouldn't that be a cooler way to approach life? Because think about which reality you're living in for a longer period of time. If you go this way, you're living in the Lord help, Lord help, let help, help. And then that's the interaction you have with the world. That's the emotion you're feeling. And then the is almost just sort of a break before the next wave in the ocean hits you then the bulk of our life is just spent in the begging for relief and begging for mercy. But if it's God, I know you've got me, love me, help me, save me, waiting for the answer, and then look what God did. How you doing? Oh, great. You wouldn't believe what God did with that thing. Remember you're praying for that thing? And you spend the bulk of your life in gratitude for what God has done. That's a different Christian walk. Those are two different types of Christians. Both can have faith, both believe in prayer, both love the Lord, but they're experiencing the faith in much different ways. And so I want to challenge us to look at these ten lepers and say the one came back praising God and glorifying him. And if you see, we're going to dig into this more, but the nine, it says they were cleansed. The one was made whole. That's big. That's important. Nine had their problems fixed. One got fixed, right? Nine had a solution to their issue of the moment, doesn't say anything about their future condition or whatever. This guy also had his situation, his problem fixed, but he was made whole. Those others were not. And there was something he's returning to Jesus and saying, glory to God, praising God in a loud voice, that was requirement for that final, like, ah, my son, you get it, this was about me and about the Father. You are complete. So you could almost look at it like nine got healed, one got saved. You know, nine had the skin fixed, one had the heart fixed. Which do we want? And what did they do after? We don't know, but we know what we want to be. If we go around this circle, around this room, it's a million answers to prayer. I've been privileged to walk alongside some of you to moves and new jobs in different parts of the country, to coming to Christ, to all sorts of things. Let's not be the kind of people that when others ask us how you're doing, it's the problem of the day versus the glory of all the blessings. You get to choose how you respond and we're going to learn a lot from this man here who came back. Um, Let me throw a couple of thoughts out there and then I'm going to pass this clipboard around. Um, Think about the others who have done something for us in our time of need. What has our gratitude response been to them? what could this kind of gratitude look like if we as a church lived it with each other all the time? Like, how would that change our culture? I feel like we have a loving culture. Maybe how would it blossom our culture here if this was a place of gratitude? Um, how does this apply with sharing your faith to non-believers? I want to ask about your faith. What if your testimony of faith is the goodness of God? That can have a certain kind of impact. What if we were so grateful to non-believers in ways that they weren't even expecting? What influence could our gratitude have on someone? Like, why? why are they so nice? Why are they so thankful? I just, you know, in a business relationship, we have an opportunity to do this down at the center. And I know I've been trying to do this, and I've seen others of you do this as well. But someone's just coming in hanging ductwork, right? Just an HVA guy. Our duct guy's name is Sid. Um, I'm forgetting his last name right now. But anyway, Sid and his son Rocco come in and they hang duck work. I'm super grateful for Sid. God has put him here. God is giving him good ideas to help us. He's working hard. And so I tell that to Sid. But he's kind of just like, you're paying me. Like, (laughs) I'm just doing my job. There's nothing out of the ordinary here. But for someone who thinks they're just doing something for money, to then get a lot of gratitude, and for me not to treat Sid like an employee... Here's my money. Do your job. I thought I wanted it this way. Why didn't you do it that way? That changes Sid. And Sid's told me. Sid doesn't believe. He's got a a hands-off, distance sort of awareness of God. And uh, he jokingly says he'd rather go to hell because that's where all the fun people are. (laughs) So this is Sid. Right? This is Sid. We love him. He's awesome. He's funny. He's a hard worker. He's great at his job. Um, But I want Sid to be changed by hanging ductwork. And the only way that's going to happen is through the Christians that are around Sid while he's hanging ductwork. And I found that gratitude has been an awesome, awesome way. Just pour it on. And it's genuine. It's not flattery. He's doing a great job. I'm super thankful for him, and I just let him know it. And bit by bit, we're going to pray that Sid sees more than just gratitude and ductwork. Think about gratitude possibly being the opposite of entitlement. I deserve that. Oh, I'm so grateful that happened. We all know we can work as hard as we want. It doesn't all work out. So we didn't deserve the outcome, even if we worked hard. God did that. God brought the pieces. None of us want to be entitled, those spoiled brat kind of Americans who have everything and just walk around feeling like everybody should just do what they want and cater to their whims. We walk around just so grateful for everything we have. So gratitude is the opposite of entitlement. As I said before, it's the opposite of Pride. Gratitude is the opposite of selfishness because you realize you couldn't do it. Thank you, person. Thank you, God. Thank you, church. Thank you, country. Thank you, America. Thank you, president. Thank the people that have these roles that God is using to make our lives as blessed as they are. You know, who have we failed to give thanks to? So anyway, before we dig any further into this, Gail, I'm going to ask you to come and get it so I don't have to hop over to you and embarrass myself even further. There are six cards like this. On this clipboard I would like you to write whatever you write six times so literally write something pick on the top corner it could be just your name and then flip to the next card write your name or God loves you or whatever but these are gratitude cards one of them is going to Sid our HVAC guy one of them is going to Jose the building owner one of them is going to Steve the electrician one of them is going to Sean the sprinkler guy. One of them is going to Becky, who introduced us to Jose in the first place. And one is going to Pastor Eduardo, who facilitated through his church and our church us being able to even take this step. These are people that we should be showing gratitude for. We would not be where we are if they weren't helping us. And so I want these people to have something that they can put on their desk. And when they flip it over, it's got the names of a bunch of people from some church they've never gone to. I guess Eduardo's gone to this church, so except for him. Saying things like, We appreciate you. Thank you. You're a godsend. Couldn't have done it without you. Or just your name. And they read all these names of people they've never known. And I believe that this step of gratitude is like the one going back to the person who gave the blessing and just saying, I see you. I recognize you. So this is just a little exercise. Think of what you might want to do to thank those various people. And one, two, three, four, five, six, ten. There's maybe 30 of us here. So write small or write briefly. Just a little something that... 30 people can all write something on the back of this card. And I think there are six of them over there. And that's, that's our exercise corporately. We'll get to one that I hope we can do individually, where you can sort of feel where the Holy Spirit is prompting you in your gratitude. Uh, but this is something I would love to be able to hand to a Steve, our electrician. We had the uh, sprinkler guy come in the other day. Um, <clears throat> he wasn't due to work. He wasn't working on anything that particular day. He came in. And he comes up to me and, like puts his, his hand on my arm and he's like, Dave, I'm really sorry if I came across too harsh on the phone the other day. I'm thinking to myself like, "What?" Well, he's like, I didn't mean to come across as a jerk. If it came across that way, I was just kind of frustrated because it felt like there was being pressure being put on me, but I'm waiting for other people. So I'm really not holding you up. I'll go as fast as you want, as fast as you need when it's my time, but I can't go until." Into- so I was like, Sean, like I wasn't, <laughs> have you guys ever heard how contractors talk? Like he didn't swear, he didn't shout, he didn't raise, he was just like mildly frustrated when I talked on the phone. And yet he circled back to apologize. Andy, have you ever had anybody in the worksite circle back because they felt like they might have come across a little too harshly? With no profanity, with no nothing, like they didn't do anything. Somehow they felt like, oh, I shouldn't have been so frustrated with the person who's putting pressure on me that I can't, it was like, I was happy that he was frustrated. He was just telling me his job. Like, I wanna help you do your job, Sean. Tell me what you need. Okay, you need blueprints. Okay, I'll talk to, like that's the role I'm playing. I'm just trying to connect these pieces. But that's a result of treating Sean like a friend. Because you treat your friends differently than you treat People that you're just exchanging money and business with. And so we've treated Sean, he's treated us like friends, and so he's come back to someone who he has a relationship with. He's like, I'm sorry if I came across too harsh. And I said, You didn't actually, I appreciate that, but it stood out to me. What if in our jobs in these places, the way that we treat other people changes them, makes them into people that seek out gratitude or that seek to mend fences? This Christian faith is a very powerful and very contagious thing. And it's not always a sermon that gets it done. It's the way we treat people, the people that God created that are around us, the people that he loves, the people that he sent his son to die for that don't yet even know him, that he's longing to come. Like, love those people. Love the hard-to-love ones. Love the ones that aren't in your church or your family or your friends. Love them too. Let's go back to our scripture as that clipboard is making its way around. I know it's six things i have given you a tall task. If we don't finish it this Sunday, I guess we could finish it next. But when it gets to you, please write something on it for these people and let's tell them we love them. Back to our passage, Luke 17. I read this at first and I thought, okay, yeah, that's nice. That's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. And then I looked into it more and more. I was like, oh, this is deeper as it always is. Scripture is always deeper than you expect it to be. We have to start with the hermeneutic of it. How do we read this scripture? Is this a parable? Nope. Is this a metaphor? Nope. Is this a teaching of the law? What do we have here? History. Something that happened. This is an event. So you might read a psalm and think like, okay, I'm praising the Lord and it's trying to get me to understand emotion. We're just reading facts that happened. This is what Luke recorded happened with Jesus in this instance. So this is something that can happen. This is something that did happen. And therefore, by faith, this is something that could happen again today. This is a story of a healing. This is a miracle of God. And this is a fact. It's history. We have to look at it the right way. We just look at it like, oh, this is how much Jesus loved. No, someone was sick, someone got better. When you're praying for people that are sick, miracles like this give us something to base our faith on, and we pray for healing. So this is a healing story, this is a history story, you need to keep that in mind. Second thing, as we read the very first few words, it says, on the way to Jerusalem, what was Jesus going to Jerusalem to do? Temple. Yeah, go to the temple, go to the cross go to the empty tomb, right? He's on a mission, but he wasn't ignoring the people along the way. This is Jesus' real life version of the Good Samaritan. Jesus stopped on the way to his God-given calling because he knew that the small people along the way mattered. And if we're elbowing people out of the way to get where we want to go, and we've got ambitions, and we've got dreams, and we've got plans, and we're running out over people the whole way to get there, that's not how Jesus did it. That's not glorifying to God. To have all these missed opportunities, all these hurt people in our wake to get to one shining moment in our life? No. We're supposed to live a life loving all the way. Sacrifice all the way. So this is Jesus loving along the way, on the way to Jerusalem. That's not just a log type thing. That's his place in life. He went to Jerusalem a few times, but he's heading there ultimately for the cross. He's not too busy to help people along the way. Recognize that it says he traveled along the border of Galilee and Samaria. So you recognize that Galilee is the Jewish place, say region, Samaria, the Gentile, the not even fully Gentile, it's more so like cast-off Jewish family. The like, heretical Jewish teachings were kind of like encamped in this region. So there was worship of Yahweh there, but it was in their own location. And there were different laws, and there was disagreement about how to interpret the law, and so there was this big civil divide, kind of. And this traces back to the Old Testament, where the nation of Israel had a civil war, and there's the North and the South, and they were split. This is, you know, remnants of that. And so... Oftentimes, there were two routes to get to Jerusalem. There's the route that just sticks in Galilee. You stay with your own people. Keep it safe. You don't identify with those guys over there. Jesus did not take that road to Jerusalem. He took the road that was right on the boundary between Galilee and Samaria. This is a beautiful description of the way we're supposed to walk through life. Because it's really easy to walk our entire life staying on the Christian circle. The Christian by-road. Our friends are Christians. The events we go to are Christian events. The books and the things that we read, everything is Christian. And we're sort of like bypassing all the people who have all the needs that don't know the Lord that are over here in this camp. But there are also those that say, well, I've got Jesus, so it doesn't matter. And they walk so fully in Samaria that you can't even tell a Christian from a non-Christian. They're just part of that world. Jesus had like a foot in each side. He's walking the line. He's walking right along it so that he could say, hey, you, come over here. 10 steps this way is a different way of living. 10 steps this way is a different way of thinking. You have some faith here, but it's like a distorted, warped, incomplete version. Step over to this side. Let me show you the law. Let me teach. Jesus is helping people cross this boundary from outside of God's family to inside of God's family. And that's why he encounters these Samaritan people the woman at the well, right? This man here, Samaritan leper, because he's willing. To rub shoulders with people who aren't like him, who don't believe, who are dirty, who are outcast. So that he might love them. So that he might help them. Not so that he might look like the good Christian and like walk by. That's the good Samaritan. The other people that walked by the person in need. The Samaritan stops and helps. Jesus stops and helps. Uh, what most likely were nine Jewish men and one Samaritan. It doesn't specify the other nine, but that's the assumption that's made here. One Samaritan man was along with... 10 Jewish men and they all had leprosy and because of the law of Moses which is in Leviticus 13 and 14 if you want to read it for yourself lepers were not allowed to come into the gates they were to stand off at the side they had a very specific ritual of cleansing that they had to go through they had to have priests come out and inspect them to see if their leprosy was going away or if it even was leprosy they needed to be evaluated they needed to shout out as people passed by unclean unclean They had to shout that out loud so that they wouldn't contaminate the people because if anybody got contaminated by them, they were ritually unclean. They couldn't then... Um, do any of the rituals that they needed to. They needed to have purifications. So you had to shout it out as a respect. What do you think that does to 10 guys hanging outside of the village? Every time they see a friendly face, they have to shout out, unclean, don't come close. They don't go into the village. They don't go into the temple. They don't do any of this. Every once in a while, maybe a priest will come out, evaluate them and tell them to stay outside. That's the life these men were living. Like the complete isolation life, the complete sickness life, put it into modern terms. Who are the people that are completely outcast, the ple- completely housebound maybe? The woman we're going to help, Cheryl, for serve home, she's housebound. So what are her illnesses? What is her limitations? Is she put off to the side? Does she feel like people pass her around? So many reasons that people can feel that way. But Jesus had compassion on them. We see Jesus' compassion in such clear relief here. Stark contrast to how anybody else treated these people. So we continue. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going to a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity. So they call him Master. Right? That's an interesting word choice. Maybe they knew who he was. Maybe they didn't know who he was. He was probably looking like a teacher with a whole entourage of people his disciples and some of their wives and the women of Jerusalem said often cared for Jesus and maybe so there could have been a large crowd or could have been Jesus with three people we don't know but there's something in the way they came to him that recognized this man could do something for us but he, they don't even ask for healing do you see that? They don't ask. Just have pity. Do something. I don't care if it's money to help us. Do you have something you give? Is it water you could give us? Is it love you could give us? Is it a, a truth or a promise? Is it a, a miracle? There is no recorded example from the Old Testament times all the way through. And I was stunned by this. I looked this up several times. From the time that Moses puts down the law on what to do for a leprous person if they are healed, the steps to regain them back, there's no recorded example of any leper ever being healed until Jesus does this miracle. And it was because of that that within the rabbinic tradition it was believed that healing of a leper was a messianic miracle. Only the Messiah was going to be able to heal a leper. So a lot of the beginning of Leviticus 13 is just evaluating someone. If you got a sore on your arm, you would be separated and like evaluated. A few days later, let's check on it, have them wash. And, and it could just be something else and then they'd be brought back. But once someone has been confirmed to be leprous, they are fully in this lifestyle and there's no recorded examples of someone coming back. But all of Leviticus 13 and 14 is like when the leper is healed, bring him back into the town, have him sacrifice some pigeons, have him do this. Like the, the law of Moses prophesied what it's like to bring someone back into community but until Christ it had never actually happened I love that because that takes this miracle and elevates it to a certain status within the history of God's work that a moment happened here a leper was healed this contagious flesh eating disease which eventually you lost your eyesight eventually your voice went They're still calling aloud so their voices hadn't gone yet you can't feel things when you have this form of leprosy. So people would often be maimed because they would injure themselves and not knowing it or hurt themselves worse than they realized. Like they were just deformed and hurt and no one had ever come back from that. And this is the story of sin with people too. No one had ever come back from it until Jesus shows up and he says, this is not the end. You can go through this and come back. There's restoration, there's healing, there's renewal. This was a big miracle. And Jesus treats it sort of like matter of course. Well, go and show yourself to the priest. They just asked for pity. I don't think they believed that healing was possible. They'd never seen it. They'd never heard of it. He's telling them to do the Leviticus 14 things. Go and show yourself to the priest. Like, go into the village, show yourself to the priest. You're not allowed to do that. But as soon as they took that step of faith, they were all cleansed. So, we don't hear the rest of it, but assuming they then just had no leprosy, Walked into the village gates. Everybody saw the nine guys that were always outside the village now walking into the synagogue or the temple, synagogue I guess it would have been. It's a village, and talking to the priest and saying, "This is where Let me. Let's start the rituals now for ritual purification because I've been healed." Like, what was that testimony? What those priests think? What that village think? These guys, they're back. Is it safe? Are they clean? Are, we, is it, are they contagious? Like, is this real? This never happened. It can't be. Like, that's a cool moment that Jesus did, and it's a messianic. Moment. The Messiah brings new life where there is no hope. All right, we continue on. We continue on. Go show yourselves to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed, so they were healed. But one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice so he's kind of like hallelujah-ing back up the road like I'm healed, I'm healed it's the most amazing thing you will never believe it praising God look what God did he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him he thanked Jesus and gave glory to God that's a beautiful representation of how those two are really one and the same because Jesus brings Jesus is God with flesh on What do you think we are as Christians? What are we meant to be? We're meant to be Jesus with flesh on, God with flesh on, the Holy Spirit in a human body. We're meant to interact with people so that as we pour out God's love and things happen and people get healed in our life, people give glory to God, not to us. But I would love for someone to come back and thank us for praying the healing over them that God gave. That's our role. The intermediary, the introduction, the God is good. God, please heal, and then glory to God. So think about how these overlap between Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father. This, this Samaritan, who shouldn't have known anything about anything, does it right. He does it right. He praises God, and he throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanks Him, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one else found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you whole. The faith of the men starting to walk towards the city was what healed them. And the faith of the man returning to Jesus is what saved him. It's faith in both cases. You notice that for the healing, Jesus didn't even touch them. A lot of times Jesus lays his hands on and prays. I find in Jesus a great flexibility in how he approaches ministry. He's constantly adapting to situations, doing things differently. And sometimes we sort of develop patterns. If we're going to have a healing service, say we call people for, we lay hands on, we pray in a certain way. I think all of that should just be as the Spirit leads you in a moment. I don't think there's one right way to pray for healing. You don't need, no, need to know the right words to pray for healing, except for God, please help. You don't need to pray in like a very specific way. Jesus in this case just said, take a step of faith. And your leprosy will go away. Their faith, they were healed through their obedience. I think that's a cool thing to think about. This is like when the centurion said, pray for my servant, he was healed from a distance. We can lay hands on and pray for healing. Or we can just speak words and pray. Or we can say to someone, your family member will be healed. It's just in response to the faith that we have with God in that moment, how he's prompting us. I love the flexibility of Jesus to just say the word, and not have to, to fit into a certain paradigm or a certain type of healing. He, he always was unique with every unique situation. Recognize here, too, that Jesus doesn't scoff at the Jewish law. He tells them, go show yourself to the priest. That was the ritual that was to be observed. Jesus didn't abolish the law. He fulfilled it. So he actually told them, see priests. He healed them. God healed them. But as part of the community they lived in, obey this law. This law gives glory to God. When you go show the priest, guess what? They get to see God at work. When you go back to your family members, guess what? They're going to see what God has done. Like obey these rules, these rituals. These are things given by Moses for good. The law is for good. But it was God that did the healing. And so here you see the interplay of Jesus as kind of, you know, grace in human form, uh, cooperating with the law. He encourages them to obey the law. Jesus never was telling people, you know, never mind all that stuff you've heard before. I've got a better way. He's like, why aren't you following all that stuff you always heard before? Here, I can help you find a better way. I took note myself uh, of the fact that the priests in that day were called to kind of triage the health of their people, spiritually and physically. And I think that's still a a part of the calling of pastors and elders, part of parents, anyone who's in some sort of position where you're looking over others. um, How would the leper know if he was leprous? He'd go to the priest, and the priest would evaluate and say, this is not good. How would he know if he's healed? He'd go to the priest, and the priest would say, I can see that you're healed. As pastors, uh, we look out over a congregation, a church family, and we say, like, how is our spiritual health? Who's struggling? Who's doing well? Where are things not the way they should be? And like the priest in that day, I think the calling is to say, how can we work on this thing? Or how can we give glory for this thing? Where are the high points that we can celebrate? Where are the low points that we can pray? And... Um, I encourage you all to think of the people in your life, whether it's me as a pastor, whether it's a parent, whether it's a mature person of the faith, to go to and say, like, how, how do you think things are going? Or this is what's going on in my life. Can you help me triage this a little bit? Because when we're left all on our own, we don't have that voice from the outside that can give us the perspective we need. And so here I see uh, Jesus keeping those leprous men in relationship with the people who are meant to care for them. He's keeping them in and under the authority of and the watchful eye of the priests for their good as well as for their testimony. And I think that's an important part of church because if we're all individuals that just come and sit here individually or go and do serve home projects individually, but we never open ourselves up to speaking into each other's lives, then we'll never gain the advantage of someone who we trust and love and knows us being like, This part over here doesn't look right. Are you okay? Just like the priest would look at the arm and be like, that doesn't look right. Do we look at each other's lives, not in a judgmental way, but like something's been nagging me. Can we talk about this? That's meant to be the loving community of faith. And the leprous men could not do that on their own. And each of us cannot do that on our own. And there are some times where places in our lives were spiritually healthy, and there's some places in our lives where we're spiritually unhealthy. And there's some places where we're physically healthy, and some places where we're physically unhealthy. And that's just normal life. But to have loving people around you notice or care, and to give each other permission to say, let's like help each other. Like, are you okay? Okay, fine, if so. So, but I just noticed this thing, the way you said that, the way you looked, the way your face was, this situation that, you know, I encourage us to to think of ourselves in community the same way that the priests and these lepers were. I'm going to read a quote. This one's from John MacArthur. This will kind of bring these thoughts to a close, and then I have something I'd like us to to do together as kind of an individual exercise. Here's a great quote on this passage. John MacArthur writes, This was like the Samaritan woman in John 4, like the Jews who were tax collectors and sinners, the riffraff, the scum, the thugs, the lowlifes, the prostitutes who surrounded Jesus and of whom he said he had come to call the sinners, not the righteous. Everybody heard the message. Everybody enjoyed the benefit of Jesus' power. Everybody basked in the wonder of his teaching and in his miracles. But only a few came, fell at his feet, glorified him as God, worshipped him, humbled themselves, and offered thanks. The majority... They were the takers. Only a small group gave him worship. The majority were content with fixing their life up, being content with that which was temporary and unconcerned about the eternal. Only a small group wanted him to change their souls and transform their hearts. That's just the word we need to hear. We worry too much about the temporary and we worry too little about the eternal. We'd rather have our illness gone but not care about where our soul will spend eternity and it's got to be the other way around. God uses the healings of our bodies as a doorway to love Him and to know Him. But it doesn't matter if our bodies get healed. Eventually, they're just going to die anyway. Like if my foot never healed, like eventually the foot's going to be dead in some ground somewhere. Like it's just a foot. So if all my preoccupation goes on the temporary things that just aren't right, but meanwhile the eternal things are slipping away or uncared for or neglected or not healthy, we can look healthy and be dead on the inside. If it's that way, we're not whole. We're not whole. So I think the lesson from this story, many of them, I hope we've all taken something from it that will, will speak to us, but we have to be the one. We have to be the one person who comes back to Jesus every single time and worships Him and glorifies Him. I would love it if our worship time frames far exceeded our requesting and begging time frames. They're all allowed. Jesus invites us to ask for whatever we need. But what kind of life are we going to spend? And I'd love it if we would not just forget as soon as he does done something so good for us. That we just come run back worshiping so we can be all the way whole all the way healed, good inside and out. So I commission you, and and I want to give you a second to think. I I thought this might be an exercise you could do with your cell phone, so if you want to, you can. I'm just going to go back to the piano and um, play for a little bit, but I would like each of us to think of someone that we need to say thank you to. And I didn't bring paper for all of that. We still have these cards that are getting passed around, probably. If, if you haven't gotten them, try to get them afterwards and sit for a little bit. And if they don't get filled all the way out, we'll have them next week. But um, this is something you could actually just text. Maybe there's a parent. Maybe there's a neighbor. Maybe there's your boss. Maybe there's someone who helped you. Maybe there's uh, a pastor. Maybe there's a spouse. Maybe there's someone. You're like, I never thanked them for that thing. This would be a good moment to identify who that is. Because there was a period of time, right? There's like a, like a grace period. The leper went and then saw he was healed and came back. You're allowed the loop. <laughs> you're allowed the time. So say you've gotten a little far away from the moment of blessing and you realize it's time to circle back. You're allowed to circle back. You could circle back 10 years later on something. And I think that actually be really profound for the person you're thanking. 10 years ago, you said this thing to me in that Bible study. 10 years ago, you prayed for my health and my marriage in this way. I just want to let you know things are good and I appreciate your prayers. Like that 10 years later would have a real big impact. So don't worry about the loop. Oh, I should have said that thing. I missed my opportunity. No, no. Even in this case, the leper went, saw, recognized. Like I gotta go thank that guy. And he circled back. So if God brings someone to your mind now in the next like five minutes and you want to send them a text, it's just going to have a moment of, reflection you want to read more of the scripture you want to read back in Leviticus 13 and 14 see more of the whole rituals how that was set up for the Messiah to fill it feel free whatever you want to use this time for if you have some paper and you want to write a pen uh, note feel free go for it but um, I think it would be a shame if we talked about gratitude and didn't do anything about it and I don't want us all to just be grateful for like 49 Main Street stuff and New Home stuff. The people in your life that need your gratitude. You, they owe, you owe it to them. They deserve it. They, they should have it. They will be impacted by it. So, take a minute. Send a text or at least lock in your mind who that person is going to be when you get home to your stationery and your quill pen that you can dip in the ink. If you've got one of those, whatever you want to do to get back to email. But let's really focus on gratitude this week and uh, then we'll move into a time of communion. Uh, the ultimate expression of gratitude, right? (laughs) You don't need to go to hell anymore. And we're going to remember that by drinking a little juice and having some bread. The symbols are, are minor, but the impact is something we owe Christ, our gratitude for eternity.